0: How's it going? I uh, just want to thank the band for laying such a solid foundation for where we'll be tonight. Um, you know that scene in Willy Wonka, in the Chaka Factory, when he walks up and uh, he limps up to the front and then he falls over into a tumble, tumble and uh, everyone cheers? I thought about doing that tonight, just to see what everyone would do. And if you don't know that I've been in crutches for seven weeks, you're probably really confused. So... Um, I guess we'll start over. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm Andrew. Uh, I'm one of the interns here at The Ring. And uh, I have the incredible privilege of walking us through the scriptures tonight. Uh, and I'm very, very excited about that. Um, and I want, I want you to know uh, how I've been praying for tonight. I've, I've known that I'll be doing this on this night for a little while now. And uh, so my prayers have been very bold and expectant of the Lord. Um, praying for you, some of you by name, some of you by groups of people, um, just hopeful that the Lord uh, would maybe um, give us some hope and inspire us or encourage or challenge, just wanted him to do whatever uh, he wants to do tonight. And so that's, that's where my prayers have been, and um, I'm confident in the guy that I prayed to for that. So uh, tonight we'll be in Luke 5, so if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible. If not, we'll have it on the screen up above. Luke chapter 5. And before we you know, get into the word, I want to tell this story uh, that I think will help springboard us into what we have in Luke 5. So, when I was younger, I played uh, rec basketball for Leroy Junior High. We were a powerhouse of the North Shore. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. And uh, so I played basketball and uh, had uh, my, one of my best friends at the time. Uh, his dad was our basketball coach. Uh, his name was John Foreman. Not switch for John, John, um, John Foreman, a less musically talented John Foreman. But his dad was our basketball coach. And I just had a lot of respect for him. Respect for him as a man and as a basketball coach. Uh, just because he he knew a lot about basketball. He played basketball and... He watched a lot of basketball, and so he was just very, very uh, knowledgeable about the game. And so any advice, any criticism, anything of that nature that he would offer me, I took it immediately. He had such a credibility with me that uh, anything he wanted to offer, I would take. And so that went anywhere from how to run a play to... Uh, When you're a kid and you need to shoot the basketball, you have to go from, you know, your chest up just to pray that it gets to the goal. But he would change our shot to do a jump shot. And I can remember airballing like 900 different times. But I was so, I bought into what he wanted from us as this elaborate, systematic basketball coach of nine-year-olds that I was willing to believe anything he said. And so then I had... Uh, Because it's rec basketball and you have to have an assistant coach in case your head coach has something to do. Uh, We had an assistant coach who was another friend of mine. And his dad was our coach, our assistant coach. And he uh, knew very, very little about basketball. I'm not really sure why he was our coach. He knew so little about basketball. Um, But he was, you know, that authority figure. So I tried to, you know, pay attention to what he was saying. But between the two of us, I felt like the basketball expert. I felt like I was a professional. At that time, I was still going to the NBA, and so I, I, had, I had it all. I knew what I needed to do. Unlike John's dad, who, between the two of us, he was the professional. He was the expert. I was the, the student in that relationship. Uh, with this other guy, I kind of thought I had everything I needed to play basketball, so I was very resistant to any uh, advice, any criticism, anything like that, that his dad would offer to me. Uh... And I think in a really weird way, we can maybe adopt the same thought patterns to our walk with Jesus. That if we're honest with each other, there are areas in our lives where we feel like we're the expert, or we are the professional, or whatever you want to call it, whatever noun you want to give it. We feel like we are superior in knowledge to some of the things that Jesus is trying to get through to us about. And we resist that. We resist that uh, advice or leadership or guidance. And Hebrews 4, it says that uh, we have a high priest who uh, can relate to us in all these different ways. And maybe we take that as head knowledge or maybe we think that's just in sin temptations. But sometimes we don't buy into the fact that Jesus has things to say to us, advice or leadership or guidance that we need. And so in Luke 5, we have a real clear example of that. We see Jesus enter into someone's life in an area where they are an expert and offer uh, guidance. And they have some resistance, and so there's some dialogue between them, and there's some really good stuff in, in there for us to learn. So if you join me in Luke 5, this is probably a, a well known verse or little passage for you, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by a lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little way from the land. And when he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And when they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also with them James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to him, said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, They left everything and followed him. All right. So we probably know uh, this passage. We probably heard it taught or emphasized about the miraculous catch of the fish. You know, Jesus, he just jumps in this boat. He says, go over there and and throw a net out. And then there's like a million fish in it. So there's that emphasis. We've also seen Jesus uh, recruit some guys to be his disciples and make them fishers of men. But I, I was reading this, and I was so intrigued by by the interaction between Jesus and Simon. And it's really it's kind of bizarre if we if we dig into it deeper. And so, just a little backstory on this: This is um, Jesus. He's about two years into his ministry, so it's uh, kind of new, and he is looking to um, preach the word of God. That is one of his main priorities. One of his main missions when he came to earth was to preach the word, preach the kingdom of God. So he's two years in, and we know he's gained a ton of popularity. Last week we looked at uh, when the four friends helped the paralytic down through the roof, and they had to do that because the crowds were so big to gather around Jesus. This is a very similar situation. The crowds are pressing on him so much. He is so popular, and they're devouring, soaking up like a sponge, anything that he has to offer and say, and he's gained so much popularity in this one instance that they're pushing in on him and he has backing into a sea. And so not wanting to stay in the water, he gets into a boat. And uh, so the fisherman who owns the boat is washing their nets and they're, they're probably just listening you know, as, to help the time go by faster. And uh, where I want us to really focus in is on verse 4. So we had finished uh, preaching to the people and then uh, it's this really focused interaction between Jesus and Simon. And he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And what struck me about that is here you have Jesus who uh, the scripture said he was a son of a carpenter so he was maybe a carpenter. Others think that maybe a mason is more accurate. Regardless, he's not a fisherman. So you have Jesus who's not a fisherman telling Peter who is a fisherman, how to fish. And just how uh, unlikely that is. How, why would Jesus do that? Why would Peter accept any advice he has to give? And so in this request, we kind of, on the surface, see some ignorance from Jesus, from from on-the-surface on perspective. So fishing done in this time of, the, uh, this time of uh, year and uh, in this location... Uh, all fishing was done at night. It was done at night because the fish were more active there, and at nighttime it was less likely for them to swim into the net um, or avoid the net so they'd swim into it. And so all, done, all fishing was done at night, and it was very tiresome work. So they would work all night, and then when they would finish, if they'd catch any fish, they'd bring it to shore. We had to clean the fish and uh, sell anything they caught. They had to mend and clean their nets, what they're doing right now. And so imagine two boats that are dragging this this net on the bottom of the ground and kind of corralling the fish. It's going to catch some rocks and some debris and such. And so there's some frayed uh, net, which would maybe go into a bigger hole that would lose fish. And so it's not very uh, economic friendly to not catch fish when that's your goal. And so they would have to mend up these nets. And so it's not as simple as you know fishing today is you just pull your fishing pole out and cast over here. It's a it's a huge process. It's very tiresome work. And so after they would work all night, after they would clean and sell their fish, after they would clean their nets, they could go home, and that's when they would sleep. It was a very uh, re- uh, reversed cycle that we're used to. And during that time, they would either sleep or see their family. And so they were on a very like structured schedule. And here Jesus comes and basically says, "I'm going to undo everything you just did. You worked in this scheduled process, but everything I'm about to ask you to do is going to undo that." And so let's let's interact with the scriptures a little bit. Let's put ourselves in Peter's and Simon Peter's position. Let's say that you on a boat and you've been fishing for however long, and that's your main, like that's what you know how to do. That's your niche. And this guy, who knows nothing about fishing, jumps on your boat and says, let's do this. I'm going to be captain, and I'm just going to yell out orders. Imagine if you were Simon, what would happen? What would be going through your head? We can assume that uh, Simon's kind of thrown off because this is his boat. You know, He owns his boat. Who is Jesus to jump on his boat and give orders? Why would Simon take advice from someone who knows nothing about fishing? When he's been trained as a fisherman, this is what he does. This is how he supports his family. Why would he take advice from someone who doesn't know fishing? It says um, that they toiled all night and didn't catch anything. So if they, in ideal circumstances, at night when they knew what they were doing, if they caught nothing, why would they catch anything during the middle of the day, which is the worst time to fish? We can just assume, I mean, I don't know that this is what Simon's thinking, but we can assume that there's some resistance building in him about why Jesus is asking him to do this. We can even see in Peter's response to Jesus that there is some uh, question that he has against Jesus. When Simon says, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. Uh, Oftentimes when Peter uh, would use the word master, you can translate it as rabbi or teacher. And so... He's even further emphasizing that Jesus is not a fisherman. He's saying, teacher, you, t- you, you do the teaching. Leave the fishing to me. There's such a discrepancy between, on the surface between Jesus' uh, knowledge about fishing and Peter's concrete training in fishing. And I think that we can relate to that. Maybe not fishing exactly, but I think that we all have areas where we are gifted or competent or confident That we um, don't see Jesus matching that knowledge or that confidence or that competency, and we can resist. Because um, I know a lot of you, and you're gifted people. You have areas where you excel, and uh, Jesus wants to speak into those situations, but a lot of times we're resistant to it. We feel like we know more, we feel like we're more gifted. We feel like we're more trained. If we've done it for a while, you, know, you build up this confidence, this reputation, you build up your resume that you've done this for a long time and that you don't need any advice. So you have that going against you and then you have uh, this world, this screaming independence towards you where you don't need anyone. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You get it done yourself. And it creates this scenario where we can resist his leadership and his guidance. And so I, I tried to think, what are some areas in our lives where this is you know a- applicable? Where, are we re- or where can we resist? Because I don't want to throw out that we all s- suffer with this 24-7. I know that this is not maybe something that we all deal with, but I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one who struggles with accepting leadership in certain situations. And so don't hear me make this a blanket statement. Don't hear me say that we're all hard-hearted people who don't accept Jesus at all. That's not what I'm saying. But maybe just be introspective for a second. Uh, I just wrote a couple down. This is not an exhaustive list. Our careers. Our careers. If we're gifted at something, our jobs. If we're really passionate about what we're doing. you know, We spend most of our time at work. And so things like that become super important to us. Maybe Jesus is trying to speak to us about our jobs. Maybe offer a guidance about a co-worker. um, Something like that. This was Peter's profession. Simon Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus tried to interact with him on his occupation. So his career, possessions. Like I said a minute ago, this was Peter's boat. Um, It was weird for Jesus to enter on his boat and telling him what to do. Same could be with our possessions, whether um, Jesus wants to teach us how to steward them better, how to build up the body through our possessions, how to bless people with our possessions. But we think that we've earned them or we've bought them, we've, we've worked hard enough to earn them so they're ours, and we can resist any kind of leadership in that area. Parenting. Um, I think it's. I think this one's unique because Uh, Jesus didn't have kids and so it's weird to accept leadership from Jesus about parenting when he was never a parent himself and I don't have kids but I feel like there's a there's maybe like a pattern when you have your first kid and you bring it home and you're just sitting there like what the heck am I supposed to do now like I don't know how to raise a kid and so you're ready to soak up any leadership or guidance or advice from anyone who has a kid before you your friends or your parents or your in-laws So you're ready to suck up anything. But maybe after your first kid, maybe your second kid, maybe you get your footing, you know what you're doing. Maybe you've had kids for a long time now, so you kind of are an expert at parenting. Marriage. Management of our money and time. Maybe we're um, super type A and we have our, our schedule pretty mapped out. Any interruption to that? Like Peter, he had a... A schedule planned. He was going to clean his fish, fix his nets, go home, go to sleep. Jesus interrupted that. Our spiritual gifts. It's ironic that Jesus is the one who gives us our spiritual gifts when we don't accept his advice in that area. And so, like I said, this is not an exhaustive list, and maybe one is more personal to you that I didn't say because it impacts your life, but I think there are areas. Maybe you, one of these, maybe all of them, I don't know, but there are areas when we feel like we, are, um, we have graduated from needing his advice or his guidance in that area. It's easy to be guidable and teachable in areas where we don't have it together. If you've been around the ring for a little while, uh, Josh one time preached a sermon about Jesus take the wheel and how when things are super, super difficult, it's easy to go to the Lord and accept anything he has for you. In terms of what to do or how to pray and stuff like that. So when things are chaotic and you don't have it together, it's super easy to go to the Lord about that. It's a different story when you have it together in a certain area. When you are passionate about something or competent, it's harder to accept leadership in that way. And so, you know, Peter, he may offer some resistance, but... I mean, he wasn't a jerk about it. He, he obeyed the Lord. In uh, verse 5 it said, Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And so maybe, maybe he let him down just to humor Jesus. Um, maybe he thought, we didn't catch anything at night. This guy thinks we're going to catch something now. Let's, let's humor him. Let's, let's play it up for him. Um, but in the end he does it and the story says that they caught a bunch of fish enough to sink two boats and so again put yourself in Peter's position this guy who doesn't know anything about fishing apparently uh, comes in and tells you where to go and you catch like a tremendous amount of fish you'd be Instagramming it you'd be calling everyone up you'd talk about it on the weekends everyone would know about this miraculous thing that happened you'd praise him but that's not really what, what Peter does. It said uh, in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so if you, if you read that and you see that kind of confession, that kind of repentance, and you go back to the story and you're, you're trying to find what did Peter do wrong here? I mean, he, he offered a little bit of resistance in the beginning, but he didn't outright sin. Like, where is this uh, repentance and this confession coming from? And again, I don't know this for a fact, but I think maybe that uh, he had some assumptions and thoughts about Jesus offering that resistance. And that led to some negative emotions. Maybe he was offended Offended that Jesus would even uh, speak into that situation when he's such an expert at fishing. Maybe he became angry, bitter that Jesus challenged his expertise, resentful, mad that Jesus interrupted his uh, schedule. Any of these um, emotions would have led to sin in Peter's mind. And maybe that's what he's... Um, Maybe that's what he is referring to when he is confessing. So maybe we're in that boat. Maybe there are times when we resist Jesus and then those negative emotions come out of it. We become offended that Jesus would have anything to say about our, our parenting, or, or bitter that he asked us to do something to go out of our way, out of our comfort zone. And uh, we can just get really, really upset sometimes, but that's not his motive. He's not trying to one up us. He's not trying to belittle us or um, imply that he has lack of confidence in us. He truly knows better, and he wants to guide us. And I think that's where um, I think that's where it switched for Peter. In the very beginning, when Simon. Simon Peter, when he refers to Jesus, when he talks to him, he calls him Master, or Rabbi, or Teacher. It's a very unpersonal name. But then when he confesses, he calls him Lord. And so I think a super important key for us not to lose sight of is that we, when we lose sight of who Jesus is, we lose sight of his motives. I think Peter maybe saw Jesus as just a non-fisherman coming on his boat. And telling him what to do. I think that he maybe saw him as a threat To his knowledge. Or or what it is. But he didn't see Jesus who he really was. He didn't see him as the loving. Eternal. Omniscient God who loves him. Who sees the end from the beginning. The God who died for our sins. On the cross. In part to have a relationship with us. Where he can have that. Uh, dialogue with us. Because that's that's the key is not forgetting who Jesus is. When we forget who he is we lose sight of his motives. They're not malicious they're not um, they're just not as evil as we can make them out to be. That Jesus died to have a relationship with us and in part to guide us and to disciple us and to change us and transform us from one degree of glory to another. Because that's what the goal is. None of us are here raising our hand and wanting to say, Yeah, I want to know more than Jesus or Yeah, I think that I have it together and I'm, I've graduated from His from dependence on Him. We're all here as believers because we believe that becoming like Jesus is the goal. And we can't be like Him if He's not teaching us how so there has to be an openness there. There has to be a, a humility to take in what he's trying to offer us. We can't be so prideful to not, to resist that. To resist God into our leadership. And so, like I said, I don't think that we're all here. And maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe you will be. But I think that if you do find yourself here, I think there's two... Uh, two responses that we see in this story outside of not losing sight of who Jesus is. There's two responses that Simon um, plays out that maybe would be beneficial to us. The first, uh, I put repentance or confession. I couldn't figure out which one I like better, so I put both. Um, In verse 8, when he falls to Jesus' knees, Simon says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We have to be willing and humble enough to confess to the Lord in areas that we have resisted his leadership. We have to have humility to confess and to be repentful. So whatever area is stirring in you right now of an area where you are feeling competent or confident where the Lord is trying to offer guidance or leadership and we are resisting it I think we just need to be bold enough to confess that to him. And we're not going to hurt his feelings if we do that. It's just humbly acknowledging who he is and who, who we've thought he is. It's a rethink of our mind of who he is. And maybe after you confess that to him, you bring in your community to do that. You confess that to someone else saying, hey, in my job, Jesus has been telling me this and I don't want anything to do with it. And I've told him about it, and I've confessed it, but I'd like you to hold me accountable. I'd like you to ask me more about how I'm letting Jesus lead me at my job, or raising my kids, or uh, having a spouse, or m- managing money, whatever it is. And the second one is a little more broad than that. After we repent and confess... A step of obedience and a step of faith is going to happen. At verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. So Jesus put a step of faith in their, in their um, lives. And they were obedient to it. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord's going to ask you to leave your job or um, give all your money away. He could, but regardless of the weight of the obedience, obedience is the key. So maybe he he asks you to uh, change your schedule a little bit. Obedience. Maybe it's changing the way you handle money. Whatever it is, a step of obedience is going to follow And so we will respond the same way that we do every week in song. So the band can come on up. And the way we will respond is remembering who Jesus is. These songs that are picked, they really just highlight Jesus' character. Because we cannot lose sight of who he is. This is not uh, Jesus and Peter's first interaction. It's not going to be on the screen, but in uh, chapter 4, right before all this happens, uh, Jesus and and Simon have an interaction. Uh, Verse 38 says, And he rose and left the synagogue, him being Jesus, and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And so you have Simon, you have him experience um, such power from Jesus but that doesn't catch his attention. I I wonder if there's anything special about him catching his attention in in Simon's area of expertise. So I don't know where this matches you or where it hits you but, um, but I know that there are areas that are probably in your life where you feel like you know more than Jesus and He died in order to lead us to look like him. Um, So we are going to respond with song, and I'll pray for us, and then we'll be done. So join me in prayer. Jesus, we're thankful that you are a God uh, who has made himself available to us you are a God who uh, does not withhold who you are or your characteristics but you ask us to know you and there is such humility and trust in knowing that you have your glory and our interest and our joy in mind and so as uh, we look to become more like you I pray that you as a personal God would um, would search us and know us that you would uh, reveal things to us about where we're resisting, that you would lead us into repentance and confession, and that we would be ready to soak up whatever you have for us. Jesus, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.